Kia ora, everyone. Hey, kia ora, podcast people. Kete pehea kwe. Maybe there's only one of you. Koto, if there's heaps of you listening. Uh, kia ora, video people. Super good to have you connecting with us, eh? Um, yeah, awesome. May God bless you, Afa. I always think it's good of you to invest in the week, because obviously something's happened today. You're sick, you're working, something crazy's happening, but you've made that extra effort during this week to connect in with God, so you're amazing. All right. Um, hey everyone, so chapter 4 is, this was a really hard sermon to write because there is so much in chapter 4, it's just ridiculous. And any of you who've ever written an assignment or written a sermon thing, you end up with so much information, then you're like, no, I can't talk about that, I don't have time, I can't talk about this, ah. So as we go through, there's bound to be some verses or some thoughts in there that I'm just going to skim over and you're going to be like, no, Craig, you missed the best verse. So I'm apologizing in advance, right? So... But I'm going to hit a whole bunch of it. So I want to start with a little weird thing, and you'll see where I'm going in a moment. So to me, this is quite a key concept to wrestle with as a Christian. So hopefully this totally makes sense, right? Um, so what I want to talk about is how I'm going to use cafe illustrations this morning because we did the whole cafe update with Jade. So I've got a whole bunch of cafe illustrations. So um, sometimes when I'm working and doing like important pastor stuff, I'll see that the cafe is getting smashed, lines out the door, and I'm always like, woohoo! And sometimes my brain's like melting from doing important pastor things. So I love just helping in the cafe. So I'll jump on the till. That's my most stressful part of my entire universe is being on the till. I just find that. Is anyone else being on a till is so stressful? Is it just me? It's just me? Okay, it's just me. All right. And Sarah. I just hate it. It's so stressful because people come up and they're like, hi, I'll get a extra hot trim flat white with oat milk and seven this and uh, mocha. And I'm like, I got the trim? What was it? And I'm like, ah, and then I'm all freaking out. Anyway, so sometimes people come in the cafe and they are super lovely, right? They are just so nice and they're like, good morning, how you doing? And I'm like, I'm amazing, how are you? And they're like, man, I'm fantastic. I love this cafe. Your coffee's so amazing. Bro, your bed looks glorious. Oh, you're so good. Can I get a flat white? And I'm just like, woohoo, I love you. You're amazing, yeah. Um, but then the next person might just be like, and this does happen, and they are just nasty. And some people come in and they are just so grumpy. I don't know what their deal is. And you're like, kia ora, how you doing? And I was like, eh, I'm just going to get a flat white. And they literally throw the money at you. That always cracks me up when they throw the money. And you're like, whoa, sorry. And I'll be like, you doing okay? And they're just angry. So now I know, like you, I am perfect in every way. But something changes inside me. And I start feeling ticked back at them. Does that make sense? <laughs> um, now, I didn't change in who I am, right? My... My, what makes me Craig didn't change. My, my morality, my ethics didn't change. The attributes that come together, my character didn't change. But I did change in the way I react to the way people change. Does it make sense? So the happy person, I'm going to be happy. The angry person, does it make sense? Okay, so hold on to that because I want to look at this verse from, um, from Jonah and you'll see where I'm going. So we're going to start at the very end of chapter 3 and then we jump into chapter 4. So this is the verse from chapter 3, the end. When God saw what they did, this is Nineveh, Nineveh, how they turned from their evil way, God, and this is a real key phrase to get, right? God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, in some of your Bibles, and I'd say this really carefully, right? In some of your Bibles, it will say, but God changed his mind, or God repented, right? So, again, being real careful, I, I don't like that translation because it, it makes you think God becomes kind of fickle. And it makes you think that, oh, God just changes his mind willy-nilly, right? So one minute he's thinking this, the next minute he's thinking that. What's going on? How do we know that God won't change his mind and a whole bunch of stuff? And that things he said 2,000 years ago through Jesus, 
over time, he's totally changed his mind. How do we know that tomorrow God might just change your mind and what we think is good becomes evil, evil becomes good? How do we know, right? So back to my cafe illustration. What, so the Hebrew word in here is a real important word. And the Hebrew word means God made a decision to act otherwise, right? So God made a decision to act otherwise. So what, it, what he's saying is that the character of God never changed. The attributes of God never changed, right? His morality, his ethics never changed. But when the people change, the way God will relate to them, of course, is going to change. So when the Ninevites were evil and terrible, God is right and just to want to destroy them. But when the Ninevites totally changed and repented and began to worship God, of course, God, true to his character, would now decide to act differently and not destroy them. Are you with me? So the cool, and I know for some of you, you're like, I just don't care, bro. But I know, and I've had the same, this conversation with heaps of you. It's really important for us to know the character of God never changes. But the way he interacts with people will change depending on the way they interact with God. You with me, eh? Makes sense? Okay, cool. Now, you see it really clearly in these verses from, from Jeremiah. This makes it super clear. Let me read this. This is Jeremiah 18, 7 to 10. This is God speaking. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. And if I announce that I will plant and build up a certain nation or kingdom but then that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me, I will not bless it as I said I would. You can see it, right? God doesn't change in who he is, but when the people change, God will change the way he's dealing with them. You with me, eh? So I just wanted to hit that because that's quite a big thing in the book of Jonah. It's like, whoa, did God just, one minute he's destroying Nineveh, now he's, what, does God real fickle? It's like, no, 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 he's not fickle at all. Okay, so that takes us to chapter four. And this is the little title I gave chapter 4 for what it's worth. It's kind of a funny, I tried to, I thought it was a funny one. God's, Jonah's anger at God's grace and mercy. It's like, what? How can you be angry at God being a God of grace and mercy? But as you saw when the amazing Emily read the chapter, he is just ticked at, ticked at God for being gracious and merciful. Um, so my, my main point I want to talk about, and I want to say this really, really carefully, is Jonah is happy for God to show grace and mercy to him but he's not happy for God to show grace and mercy to people he doesn't like. Are you with me? I'll say it again. Jonah's happy for God to show grace and mercy to himself, but he's not happy for God to show grace and mercy to people he doesn't like. You see it, right? Yeah. Now, this is where I want to go, and this is where you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit need to go. <laughs> that can hit home pretty hard for us sometimes. <laughs> We're really happy for God to show grace and mercy and blessing to us but sometimes these people living in a way that we just disagree with, <laughs> and then we see God showing grace and mercy and blessing to them, and we're like, what the heck? Now, honestly, our church is one of the least judgmental churches I've ever seen in my entire life, <laughs> and we just like love everyone, but sometimes in our soul, <laughs> we can see someone doing something or living in a way, and we're like, man, that God should do more zapping here. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm a big zapper. If I was God, there'd be a lot more zapping on this planet. That's all I'm saying. But that's exactly the point of this chapter 4, where Jonah in chapter 2 is all happy for God to be gracious and merciful to him. But when God's gracious and merciful to these evil, vile Ninevites, Jonah's like, and I say this carefully, damn you, God, how dare you? That's what he's saying. Right? I'm so angry I could die. <laughs> so dramatic. Oh, my gosh. Um, now, none of us are like this, next point, at all, right? But it's really funny to chat, to track Jonah's emotions um, through each chapter. So in chapter one, he's super disobedient, right? Remember chapter one, God's like, go to Nineveh, which is about 500 miles that way. And he's like, 
It goes like 4,000 miles in the total opposite direction. So chapter one, he's totally disobedient. We would never be like that. Chapter two, totally different. He repents. Remember, he's repentant as he's drowning and the weeds are wrapping around him. He's like, oh, save me. Oh, you know, now he loves God. He's obeying God. Um, then chapter three, he's real obedient. Remember, he goes into Nineveh, probably smelling and looking amazing like heaps of you men, not ladies, when you've had a day fishing over the sea. And then chapter four, um, he's just really angry again, really ticked. So he's just like this crazy kind of roller coaster guy. Um, I want to read the first four verses again. So um, Emily did an awesome job reading it, but it's good to just kind of repeat it and get it into our brain. So if you've got your Bible, jump over to Jonah 4. I'm just going to read 1 to 4. Um, <laughs> I laugh a lot when I read this because it's pretty funny. So I'm not apologizing for my laughing. So remember 3.10, God has not destroyed Nineveh. And so now Jonah is just tacked off. And I love how it's translated in this one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He's not just ticked. He's like, shut up. I want to punch someone in the face ticked, right? None of you would do that, but Jonah would. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. <laughs> and he prayed to the Lord. Always a good thing to do when you're ticked off with someone is pray to God, right? Even if you're yelling at God. I, I love that. He prayed to the Lord, and he said, oh, Lord, this is how I read it. Is this not what I said when I was yet in my country. In other words, God, I knew you were going to do this. I tried to run away. You had a giant fish swallow me. You vomited me on a beach. I just knew you're a God of grace and mercy, and you're going to forgive these crazy Ninevites. And he's just so ticked, right? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are... And he's saying this like, dang it. <laughs> I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. It's like, how is he angry at him for that? Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's so dramatic. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? In other words, are you sure you really should be being angry? I love this. And there's a cool uh, little quote that kind of talks about these verses. It's reflecting on um, verse, well, these verses, but verse 2 especially. The devil is good at getting us to be disgusted by how God gives grace as if God forgiving those we deem super sinful somehow devalues the forgiveness he gives us. I thought that was a really powerful phrase. It doesn't. <laughs> this next line is really good. Don't look down on someone because he or she sins differently than you. It's a great line, eh? All sin destroys our relationship with the Almighty. Look up to God, thanking him that his grace is universal, unstoppable, and can heal anything you've ever done wrong. I'm going to read it again. The devil is good at getting us to be disgusted by how God gives grace, as if God forgiving those we deem super sinful somehow devalues the forgiveness he gives us. It doesn't. Don't look down on someone because he or she sins differently than you. All sin destroys our relationship with the Almighty. Look up to God, thanking him that his grace is universal, unstoppable, and he can heal anything you've ever done wrong. <laughs> I love that. Eh? Jonah's ticked off with these people that he deems very unworthy of God's grace and mercy. Why would God do that, right? God should be destroying them. And then God shows grace, and Jonah's just super angry. Um, and like I said before, I know none of us would do that. <laughs> but it is really easy when you see someone living a, a life or doing something you just know is so wrong. You just want to judge them. <laughs> but it's not our job, right? It's our job to love them and care for them. Um, God is the only one that can change people's hearts. None of us can change people's hearts. Last time I checked, right? So it's our job to love them and, and pray for them and ask God to reveal to them. Ah, All good. 
Okay, I, I just want to sit on this verse 2 for a minute, because this is just such a powerful verse. So, Jonah's ticked off at God because he says, For I knew you were gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. So most of you will know this is from Exodus 34, right? So in Exodus 33, um, Moses asks, right at the end of chapter 33, Moses says to God, Hey, he is more respectful than me, sorry. <laughs> in a very respectful way, he says, God, I would like to see you. I want to see God. And God's like, No, you can't see me. I'm too awesome. It'll, it'll literally explode, sort of thing. Um, but then in chapter 34, but he says, but I will pass by you. And then in chapter 34, you have the amazing, and it's almost a, a direct, um, Jonah's almost directly quoting this, where God, if you remember a day where God passes by, he hides Jonah in a cleft, like in a crevice in the rock, and God passes by, and it says God covers him, so he, he doesn't get kind of nuked by the awesomeness of God. And he goes past, and as God passes, God describes himself to um, Moses. And it's basically this, right, with a, a little bit more in it. And then you see that phrase from Exodus 34 repeated continually throughout the Bible. And Jesus repeats it again and again and again, right? He just says it so many times because this is a core of who God is. And I thought we talk about these words all the time. So I'll just take a quick couple of minutes to kind of break them down um, a little bit. So the first one is gracious. So the easy way I always describe grace is grace gives what is not deserved, Right? So grace gives what is not deserved. It's goodness to someone who deserves punishment. This is an easy one for us to get, right? We deserve punishment, right? We sin. So we deserve to be zapped by God. But God is gracious to us in that he doesn't give us, um, that he doesn't treat us like we, we deserve, right? So back to my cafe, amazing experience. So it's like me when someone comes in who's really horrible and they throw their money across the till at me. I'm gracious to them when I go sure you're doing okay, you're all good, and sometimes I'll give them a 50% discount, don't tell Jade or the trustees because I'll get in trouble, and just go, hey, we just really appreciate you as a cafe. I'm being gracious to them, right? I'd be right to treat them by saying, you horrible person, could you hold these fingers with your eyes? <laughs> Kick them in the shin, you know? But I'm gracious to them, right? I, I show them what they don't deserve. So God's very gracious towards us, right? It makes sense, are you with me on gracious? You're good. So merciful is, I think most of us understand mercy really well. Mercy is to be tender in affection towards someone. It's to be um, really caring of someone who's in distress, right? Caring of someone who's in distress. I love that. So I meant to ask Jade if I could talk about it like this, but I forgot, and she'll forgive me because she has to because we're Christians, so I can say this. So this is one of the things I love about Jade. Jade is very, very merciful, right? And I've seen several times now where someone's come in the cafe just broken, and so a little while ago, and I'm mixing this up so you wouldn't even be able to figure out who the person is. A little while ago, a person came in, and they were distraught, crying, shaking. They were really, really upset. And Jade whoo, slithers out, well, doesn't slither, sprints out from behind the, behind the till and went round to the person. They were regular and just said, are you all right? And they were like, no. <laughs> and Jade went and sat outside with them for, I don't know, a whole bunch of time. Jade was merciful to that person. They were in distress. She showed tender care, tender love to them. Now, I, I love that grace, right? He doesn't treat us as we deserve. And then you put mercy, and you're like, oh, man, we are blessed as Christians. When things are hard, when we're in distress, and we're like, oh, God, I just can't do this help. I love that. It's like God comes and sits beside us, like Jay did, and goes, hey, it's okay, I've got you. I love you. Oh, it's cool, eh? You with me? Weird thumbs up thing, but it's all good. Um, and then the next one, which I just really love this, eh? I'm slow to anger, right? Slow to anger. And you see this again and again in the Bible. God is, is very slow to punish people. You, you see that again and again, right? We, we, if we, again, if we were God, there'd be a lot more zapping of people. 
God is so patient, so patient, so patient. Um, this is a terrible illustration, and you can totally judge me if you want to, and come and tell me, and I'll just say thanks for coming. Um, one of the things that drives me insane in the cafe is screaming kids, right? Now, in saying that, I know some, yeah, none of our kids, our kids are perfect in every way. Yeah, odd, oh, no, 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 perfect every way. Um, <laughs> It's like, and I know sometimes the mum is, well, the dad is losing their mind and life is tough and they come in the cafe and they just want to have a coffee and chill. And, and I get that. I totally get that. But sometimes it's next level. So the record so far, not that I was timing it, but that I kind of noticed, was just over 30 minutes where there was a couple of mums sitting in the corner and maybe their life was crazy, so I'm not judging them at all. But they had a kid that just screamed. And it wasn't the, I'm in distress scream or... I need food, or uh, my diaper is full of gifts, scream. It wasn't that. It was just screaming, just screaming and screaming and screaming. And it was just like, ah! And after like five minutes, you're like, someone needs to go and tell that kid to shut up. (laughs) I would never do that. Um, But after 30 minutes, you're like, someone needs to do something, or I don't know. (laughs) But I was very slow to anger, right? I'm like, God, (laughs) I didn't say anything, and and then they... They left. But you know what I mean, right? Um, so often in our lives, man, we need to reflect this attribute of God, right? To be slow to anger. We don't know what's going on in someone's world. I don't, I don't have any idea what was going on with that kid. Could have a medical condition. The mum could be at the end of their rope and they just needed to get in the cafe, have a coffee, talk to a friend, kids screaming, who cares? I, I need this or I'm going to look. You know what I mean, eh? We have to be slow to anger. We, we just don't walk in other people's shoes. We're good at thinking we do, right? We're really good at thinking, I know, I've been there. It's like, no, we haven't. We've never been there. I love it. So gracious, merciful, slow to anger. And then the last one's wild. So the last one is abounding in steadfast love, right? And this is a, a key Hebrew word that's right through the Old Testament. It means a really loyal love, a faithful love. Um, specifically in, in Hebrew culture, it means to be faithful to a covenant, right? So faithful to a covenant. Um, well, a side funny story. So Joyce and I lived in the States for a bunch of years, and when we are doing our masters, um, the, the Hebrew word here is hesed, or correctly you'd say it, chesed. So everyone, let's all say it together because it's a funny one to say with your throat. So you've got to get your throat going, chesed, chesed. Good. Uh, some of you are good. Um, so I had to do a whole assignment on this one Hebrew word. And one of my friends uh, who was doing the same degree as me, he was like, oh, bro, it's a real easy assignment. It'll only take like a couple of hours. Um, how about we do it at the same time? And I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be great, bro. And so it was about 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night, I think, and we were going to start it. And we, our apartments at the university were side by side. And it was like we had a little chat and we were being gooses and then we went off to our different um, little apartments to start studying. And I went in and looked at this word hesed and went, holy cow, this is like one of the key words in the whole Old Testament. It is everywhere. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a huge assignment. And I came zooming out of my apartment and as it ran into his, he was like, oh bro, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and he'd realized the same thing, that this was going to be a huge assignment. So at about 10.30, both our wives had gone to bed and they were happily sleeping and we were up making coffee, eating cookies. It was the only time I ever pulled a full all-nighter where we just didn't sleep. And I remember like every couple of hours, one of us had come into the other person's apartment with more coffee, chatting away and then go back and our wives are happily sleeping. So all that to say, this word is a really cool, cool word, hesed, that's right through the Old Testament because God is, it's so important for, to, to God, I think, for us to get that he is a God of faithfulness. 
He is a God of, of covenant. When we become a Christian, when we move into that relationship with God, God goes, you are mine. You are mine, and nothing can change that. Nothing can change that. Um, when I was at the college, one of the biggest, so I used to work at a Bible college, one of the biggest discussions slash arguments I would have with students is around can you lose your salvation or not? And, and I'd get into massive discussion because I'm firmly, firmly, firmly in the camp that you cannot lose your salvation because when you move into a relationship with God, he goes, you are mine. <laughs> you are my child. I have removed your sin. I have put the righteousness of Christ on you. You are righteous. You are pure. And I love that Jonas yells this at God. You're so gracious. Dang it. You're so merciful. Dang it. You're so slow to anger. And you're so faithful in your covenant to people. I just love that, eh? I love that. All right, a little funny story about, um, about grace, right? So I thought that could have been a bit of a heavy little passage, so we need a little funny story. So here's a funny story. Um, has anyone ever heard of... of Harvey Pennock, he's a famous golfer. Harvey Pennock, no one? Yeah, I've never heard of him. Um, it's apparently a super famous golfer, right? So that's, so you know. here we go. So, mil- so we're thinking about grace and mercy and all this. Millions of golfers know the name Harvey Pennock. His first book, Harvey Pennock's Little Red Book, became a surprising bestseller, selling more than one million copies in 1992, quickly earning the title of the best-selling sports book of all time. But... By the time Pennock even showed his notes, the genius for his book, to a local writer, he was nearly 90 years old. Pennock wanted to know if the book was worth publishing. The writer read it and told him that he liked the book. In fact, by the next evening, the same man left word with Pennock's wife that Simon & Schuster, which is a massive publishing house over in the States, um, had agreed to an advance of $90,000. So if you don't know when these guys and, and ladies go to write a book, if the publishers really want to lock them in on a contract, they dump a bunch of money on them to, to lock them in so they can't go, ooh, and jump to other people. So they advanced them $90,000. When the writer saw Pennock later, the old man seemed troubled. Finally, Pennock came clean. With all his medical bills, he said, there was no way he could advance Simon & Schuster that much money. It took a while, but finally the writer convinced Pennock that the publisher would pay him the 90000 not the other way around. Um, I, I think for some of us, we, we, we get all this grace, mercy, slow to anger, we get all that, but we still try and earn God's salvation, right? We still kind of do deals with God of like, oh, I promise I'll be at church more if you, whatever. I promise I'll confess my sin more if you. I promise I'll listen to worship music more if you. I promise I'll read my Bible more if you. And, and I think like this guy, we get it around the wrong way. God is going, no. I am gracious towards you. I'm merciful towards you. And I love that abounding in love, right? God is not just loving, abounding in love. Man, I just love that, eh? So again, Jonah's really happy for God to be gracious to him. And you see that in chapter 2 when he's drowning. Help me, God. (laughs) But when God's gracious to other people, Jonah gets his knickers in a really massive knot, right? So here's a little summary of um, verses 1 to 4. God is amazing and patient. And his forgiveness, well, Jonah, not so much, because Jonah's just really ticked. And then we get into this weird um, part, these um, verses 5 to 9, with this crazy illustration of the plant. And if you haven't clicked, it's just God trying to illustrate to Jonah the madness of what he's doing, right? So here's a little kind of summary. Jonah loves a thing, the plant, that loves him. 
but he still hates the Ninevites, right? So he hates the Ninevites. So let me, because I know some people read that and they're like, I'm just really confused. What they, why is there a plant? What's going on? So here's a simple, simple breakdown of these verses 5 to 9. Jonah's ticked with God for not destroying the Ninevites. We're like, got it. So he sets up a shelter overlooking the city, still hoping that God might fulfill his prophecy and destroy Nineveh. That's the only reason he can come to, because it's kind of bizarre. He's preached, they've repented, he now knows God's not going to destroy them, so why set up a booth overlooking the city? And the only idea that I read a whole bunch of um, commentaries is that he's so ticked off at the Ninevites, he's like, dang it, I'm going to set up a booth that I'm going to watch, and I'm hoping that fire and brimstone will destroy them all. And it's like, God's like, really, you are a goose. So then God causes a plant, because it's real hot around there, God causes a plant to grow up in a night, which Jonah just really loves. It's super hot, and the plant brings him some really good shelter. The next night, though, God sends a worm to kill the plant, and Jonah is really ticked at God. And like I said when I did chapter one, there's lots of wordplay in this chapter. And if you saw it, it talks about how um, God appointed the plant to grow up, and then God appointed a worm to eat the plant, and then God appointed a scorching wind to come, right? And this is what it's teaching. I, I've got a quote here because I thought this is the easiest way to explain it. And it's a two-slide quote, so it's a bit long, but you'll see what I'm meaning. So let me read this to you. Let's, so this is God speaking. Let's ang- analyze this anger of yours, Jonah. It represents your concern over your beloved plant. But what did it really mean to you? Your attachment to it couldn't be very deep, for it was here one day and gone the next. Your concern was dictated by self-interest, not by genuine love. And that's a key thing to get in here. Jonah loves the plant. He doesn't really give a toss about the plant, but he loves the plant because it gave him shelter. It's all about himself, right? Jonah is a very, very selfish person. You see that through the chapter, right? I want your blessing, God, but when you bless others, ticks me off. You with me, eh? Shot team. Okay, so your concern was dictated by self-interest, not by genuine love. You never had the devotion of a gardener. If you feel as bad as you do, which because he wants to die, what would you expect a gardener to feel like who tended a plant and watched it Um, grow only to see it wither and die. And then here's the the core part of this quote. This is how I feel about Nineveh, only much more so. All those people, all those animals, I made them. I've cherished them all these years. Nineveh has cost me no end of effort, and it means the world to me. Your pain is nothing compared to mine when I contemplate their destruction. So it's a, a real cool illustration from God to to Jonah um, and to us, but that's up to God to do. Okay, so a couple of questions, um, and then I'll finish up. So here's um, two questions for us to discuss. So the first one, um, why do we sometimes find it hard to believe or be happy that Godly truly forgives some people, right? So the people we don't like, that's what I'm saying, or people who are living a lifestyle that we're like, that's so evil, God should zap them, and he doesn't. So why do we sometimes find it hard to believe or be happy that God truly forgives some people? Here's the second question. Donah describes God as gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Oh, I love that last one. Eh? What is your favorite, most meaningful phrase to describe God? So it might be one of those, or it might be a different one. What is the, the phrase you use most when you, when you think about God? So. Alrighty, kia ora. kia ora. Hey, what's some um, thoughts? Either question, anyone got any great insight? Louise, what do you reckon? Um, me all the time. Yeah. Where I go. Yeah, that's cool, eh? Yeah, 
No, that's cool. Louise is saying she just loves the aspect of God that he's with her all the time, which is cool, eh? Super cool. Yeah, anyone else? Well, such a deep-thinking church. I know you've all got massive wisdom, but it's, I know it's so terrifying because you might say something and everyone's like, oh, my gosh, you're so dumb, which no one would ever say. Nick Olas. Yeah, that's cool. Mm, yeah, that's cool. Let me try and just so the um, video people and podcast people can hear. So Nick's saying, one, jealousy. We're really good at being jealous, right? So that makes sense. But the second thing is sometimes, so correct me if I'm wrong, sometimes I think we forget the eternal aspect of our being, right? And so we're so caught up in this 70, 80, 90, if we're lucky or not lucky, years that we forget this is just a blip <laughs> in the real scheme of our entire lives. So this life must be lived for God. So we must reflect his character and being slow to anger, gracious and merciful. Rather than getting your knickers in a knot for 70 years when you've got, it's leading into eternity. Is that kind of an okay paraphrase? Yeah. <laughs> Yearish. Yeah. No, cool. Noel? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So Noel's saying we're often, we're very comparative people, which I'm the worst comparative person on the history of the universe. When I go to the gym, I'm the worst comparing person ever. Like, how come that guy can do that? Oh, I'm ticked off. Noel's saying we're very people who compare, but we often play ourselves up and others down. So instead of our sin being equal, we're like, but mine's only a tiny little sin and blah, blah, blah. But man, look at this, sin. it's so huge. Whereas in God's scheme, it's like sin, right? That's a good point, eh? That's good. All right, let me, um, let me finish here. Um, I'm just going to pray to finish. So, Etu, let's stand up. I just really felt when I was, this week when I was going over it, I was like, this passage, this verse 2 is just so powerful. I just want to pray on this for, I don't know, a moment. So, um, I'd really encourage you, if any of these phrases, grace, mercy, slow to anger, abounding in love, if any of those, when, when I was explaining it, you were like, oh, that's really big. I'd really encourage you to hold on to that this week, right? Jonah 4.2, not hard to find. Um, and just spend some time chewing over it and listening. What is God saying to you about whichever phrase kind of jumped out? What is he saying to you about him being a God of grace in your personal life, a God who is slow to anger in your personal life or whatever it is? So let me, um, let me pray for us with this last little bit here. Yeah, yeah, kia ora, almighty God. Um, Yeah, we do desire to reflect your character um, more and more as we grow in our relationship with you. Um, yeah, but like we've been saying, we are really good at judging. We're really good at comparing and, and lifting ourselves up. Um, yeah, I just really pray for anyone right now that's feeling really unworthy um, and is, would love to hold on to the fact that you are a gracious God, that you don't treat us as we deserve, but they just can't get there, God. I just really call out to you now in the name of your son, Jesus, that the truth of your grace, um, the truth of your mercy, that you see them in need, and you come to them, you see them in distress, and you, you sit with them in that, that that would just really um, sink deeply into their soul, God. We're really good at talking about all this stuff in church, but... When the week hits, sometimes it's hard to grasp. Eh? Yeah, I pray for anyone that just is struggling to believe you really do love them. Uh, they look at their life, maybe what they've done or what they're doing now or a struggle that's going on or a burden they're carrying or something, and they're like, man, does God really 
here, I pray you'd remind them that you are a God of um, not just love, not just steadfast love, but abounding in steadfast love. What an awesome, expansive description of who you are, God. You are the, the God who keeps covenants. You're the God who is faithful. And you have drawn them into a relationship with you, and you'll never turn your back on them. Um, as Jesus said, you'll never leave them or forsake them. You're, you're with them all the time. Yeah, just keep teaching us, God. Keep teaching us how to take things we believe academically to transfer them into being practical, deep things we hold on to that transform us to become more like you. Yeah. Yeah, pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.